Mark Middleton and Bill Schaefer here piloting the Growing Boulder Express, the show about men and women with dreams and passions who simply refuse to give up or give in until they create the life they wanted. Right you are. We're talking about people who take risks, who think outside the box and believe that really believe that the rest of their life can be the best of their life. On today's show, great examples, a guy who has done just about everything, but the most profound thing he's ever done is take a walk with his father. Plus, the founder of the Rascals, Felix Cavallari, now in his 70s, and this guy is still grooving. Can't wait to talk to him. Also, a woman with MS who, after 20 years in a wheelchair, decided to get up and hit the gym, and a man who has been called one of the great deaf Americans, all today on Growing Boulder. is one of the coolest guys out there, an adventurepreneur. He's a, a TV host, a college football analyst, a New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, actor, expert traveler, and Emmy-nominated filmmaker. And there's more. The guy's worked with ESPN, Fox Sports, NFL Films. He's coached college football, written several books, including one with Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll. Yeah, he's acted on television and in films, and he's the creative force behind a new documentary that's called Life in a Walk. And that's why we want to talk to him, because it's a documentary about spending time with those you love while you still can. Let's find out more as we welcome filmmaker Yogi Roth. Hey, Yogi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. You know, we, we, do, we, we love this whole thought concept behind this film. What happened to you uh, is or has happened to almost all of us. Suddenly you realize the clock is ticking and spending time with your loved one is, is fleeting. For you, it was your father and a diagnosis of prostate cancer. Tell us how that led to your adventure. Well, you know, I, I think just naturally as a, as a competitor, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life, um, that when our playing careers end, we seek the next thing to go compete in. And for me, it was my career, right? That's just natural. Um, and I think in your 20s, that's what you do. And I was running myself willingly into that wall that just doesn't break down. You know, it was working all the time. And you see a bleed over your personal life, not returning phone calls, not having a lot of meaningful relationships. And I saw it happening with my with my parents. You know, they, they'd call and I'd say, hey, I'm real busy. Let me hit you back. And I live in L.A. They're in the East Coast. So obviously, there's a time change. And It'd be a couple days, and I, I just saw that happening. And when I was 26, my father was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and I never processed it. I never dealt with it. I never stopped and paused and realized, you know, how much of an influence this guy had on me. And it wasn't until two years ago where I was kind of looking for my next trip as a traveler, my next exploration, maybe my next film, something, where it hit me that, well, I, I need to spend time with this guy. And I never want to say the sentence, I wish I spent more time with my dad. And, you know, my dad had been feeling great. He is feeling great. You know, he's kicking butt and, you know, in every element of life. But what I, what I realized was that as I got older, I didn't get wiser. You know, I got lamer and I would just wanted to, you know, worry about my career and charging, competing in that versus competing to get to know the guy who shaped me more than anyone. So I asked him if he wanted to go for a walk. And he said, yeah, sure. Thinking around the corner, I gave him a plane ticket and I said, well, if you can, I'd love you to meet me in Madrid in a couple of weeks, and we're going to walk the Camino de Santiago. And he was kind of floored, and he went over, and we did it. And it was, the, it was honestly for me, you know, you, you gave me a great introduction, man, and I've been lucky to do a lot of cool things, but it was by far um, the most powerful few weeks of my life because I got every question that I needed to ask or I needed answered um, answered by the guy who shaped me. And, and I think that's something that we all can relate to on some degree, whether if our parents are still around, or if we have kids, or just, you know, friendships that we want to keep growing. And I got no problem making my story that was almost a really sad story and really lame um, an example to hopefully influence some people around the globe. And to help tell that story, you're creating this film called Life in a Walk. And, and Yogi, really, you could have just gone down to the mall and walked around there. What made you choose Spain and Portugal? Well, you know, I, I'm an adventurer. I have always been that way. Uh, I grew up in a very adventurous house. My father has always been that way. And that, to me, when we travel, um, and you guys know, you know, you, you go to see a destination, right? You want to go see Machu Picchu. 
or you want to go see, you know, the Eiffel Tower. But what you see on these trips is you see yourself in a different light. And I wanted to, you know, create some sort of destination, some sort of adventure that had a lot of meaning behind it. And for me, when we walk, um, we really get to go to these different places, you know. And for my father, when he was getting healthy and competing against prostate cancer, he would walk. He would walk at midnight. He'd walk at 6 in the morning. His whole life is kind of built around processing you know, elements of life that, you know, are you know, full of adversity through exercise. And as an athlete, that's all I know. So I said, man, how am I going to deal with this uncomfortable element of asking my dad all these hard questions I've never asked him? You know, I asked him about love and life and heartache and heartbreak and, you know, getting hired and getting fired and having kids and getting married, all those things. And Man, I can't just do that. Just walk around the block. No one can go sit in our kitchen. You know, I gotta need. I need to take him somewhere where at least I, I feel extremely um, adventurous, or at least uh, comfortable in, in that element. And I said, "Screw it. Let's just roll to Spain, man. Let's let's go take the one of the coolest adventures in the history of the world, and let's go do this together." And it and ended up being it, much more than I even imagined. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, Yogi, the, the cut line for the film, uh, if you will, at least it's on the poster, and I love it, is, I never wanted to say, I wish I'd spent more time with my dad. And, you know, in many ways, that's the, the best kind of selfish act that we can undertake, spending time with our parents before it's too late, because it, it really is a gift back to ourselves, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think we forget how much they've influenced us. You know, we forget how much we're attracted to the examples that they just provided by just being who they are. You know, and I think as we get older, and you know, it's really fun, like even now, uh, we're almost done with this film, so I'm scrubbing through every clip one more time just to see if you know I missed anything as we put it together. And there's so many little things and little quirks or little lessons that our parents share with us that we embody or we don't even realize that we embody. And I, and I think that's really important. You know, I, I think, you know, especially in the world of entertainment that, that you guys are in and I'm in, you know, we're always charging for the next thing. And very rarely do we stop and appreciate the simple joys. And to me, um, I was lucky that I, that I caught it. You know, I can remember coming back from the trip and thinking maybe I'm just going to make a, a movie for, for my dad, a, a love note to my family and my kids someday and to their kids. And as I talked talk to my peers and friends, I saw it strike a chord with everyone because you can relate to it. And then as we started making the movie and showing little clips to people, I saw it, you know, having a little larger impact. And we created a campaign to raise some, some money for it and, and really just to raise awareness around spending time with people you care about. And I heard within a day, from people all across the globe, I said, wow, we're on to something. You know, all I was hoping to be was a nudge to, you know, my, my people that are close to me to spend time with their parents and vice versa. And I, we became a conversation. And hopefully with this movie, we can become a, a movement around the simple idea of stopping and pausing and asking those hard questions to the people that influence us most. And that, to me, would be the greatest gift on this, on this film. You know, you're a guy of great variety, of many interests, and you've dived into to many of them. One of them is your co-founder of something called Win Forever, which is the name of the book that you wrote with Pete Carroll of the Seahawks. What's the mission of Win Forever? What, what's that all about? That's a great question. Um, when I was coaching at SC, uh, I, you know, Pete and I became extremely tight, and I, I had known him since I was about 19. And I would say 90% of our conversations were philosophy-based, you know, minimal football conversations, because that's where we connected. And that is probably one of his largest passions of helping people develop an approach of philosophy. So with young coaches, we come in, we have all this stuff, but it's not organized. The older coaches, a lot of times, they have a lot of uh, stuff, but it's also not organized. And that's what we found. You know, we would do a seminar and say there was 500 people in the room. We'd say, how many of you in this room, whether they were corporate people or football coaches, so how many of you have a philosophy? And everyone raised their hand. And the next question was, how many of you can say it in 25 words or less? And maybe one hand would be raised. And what we found is that uh, so many people that were leading and influencing the next generation of leaders didn't have their stuff really figured out, you know, real depth behind why they do their job, their radio show, their offensive scheme, etc. And Pete, I think, is a master at that. And he's developed the approach to that and has done the lonely work to develop that. And what we found is that people will yearn to, to learn that. Everybody, I think, wants to get coached to a large degree, no matter what we're doing. So, so let's see if we can create an organization that can help change cultures and give them a real structure and coach them. 
And if you think about it in the corporate setting, right, it's just to say you're a former athlete. You bust your tail, you prepare your whole career, but then all of a sudden you go to the corporate world and you don't really practice your presentation. You just kind of roll in and do it. You don't really practice your pitch. You kind of just roll in and do it. And why would you ever be shocked if you don't succeed? You know, a lot of people are. Well, what we learned is that um, the traits that people become successful from on the field or on the court Sometimes they forget about them when they move on in the next phase of their life. So we thought it would be an easy way to help some people hopefully develop a style, a vision, a theme, an overarching philosophy to what they were doing on a daily basis. And hopefully, you know, maximizing their, their God-given potential. And it's been fun to do it. You know, we've done it with teams, with, with organizations, with multiple corporations, and everything based in high-performance psychology. So there's real grounded truths to a lot of the stuff that we're doing. And it's been really fun. Yogi, you're a big-time uh, network TV talent, so we're going to give you a producer's note here. In, in 30 seconds or less, if you will, mention to us about your motivational presentations because you, you basically deliver them under the theme of life without limits. What's the takeaway? What's the Yogi Roth message in life? Well, my, my message in 30 seconds is that we all get to paint any dream that we want. And for whatever reason, when we start off at 8, 10, 12, 15 years old and really start cultivating our dreams, it's easy for them to get shot down and sometimes we're not strong enough to hang on to them. And there's one thing I can do around the globe is to get people back in touch with that dream that they had, whether they want to be on TV or whether they want to run for president or whether they want to be a great parent and hang on to it and compete relentlessly to to fight for it. And, And to me, that's living a life without limits. That's not having any restrictions, and that's saying, you know what, I know i got to jump off the high dive, so I'm going to jump off with a smile on my face, my arms pumping in the air, screaming and yelling and enjoying it, versus jumping off and holding my nose and just praying to get down as quickly as possible. And, and I hope that's something that people take away when, when I get to be around them. Man, I love that. This is a guy, folks, of endless energy, endless ideas. It will be fascinating to see what is next for him. His name is Yogi Roth. His new film, Out Soon, is called Life in a Walk. If you'd like to find out more, just go to yogiroth.com. Coming up, how a whole new way of looking at heart disease could increase your longevity. Dr. Daniel Thomas is next. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare, providing the guidance you need to stay informed and stay connected through COVID-19. Now offering tips, ideas, and critical resources at growingbolder.com slash COVID. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Welcome back to Growing Boulder. This is Bill Schaefer, and our next guest is one of the nation's leading experts in metabolic and nutritional medicine. And he's part of a growing number of physicians who are redefining the practice of medicine by identifying and addressing the root cause of disease and premature aging instead of just diagnosing and treating and in many cases, over-medicating. Based in Mount Dora, Dr. Daniel Thomas has been in practice for over 30 years. He's passionate about increasing longevity, about preventing disease, about using the latest medical science to help people become functionally younger. Let's find out more about what that means. Let's welcome Dr. Daniel Thomas. How are you, sir? I'm good, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. Functionally younger. Well, that sounds kind of like a hedge. What's that all about? Well, we're all getting older chronologically. Obviously, we can't stop that. But when it comes to our quality of life, Bill, we're in the driver's seat. So we can literally help people, their brains, 
Uh, their, their physical bodies function better and better as they get older. So the good news is that we're not at the mercy of our DNA. We're in the driver's seat. So if we make the right choices, we'll be able to enjoy mental and physical vigor for, for years and years. And you talk about metabolic and nutritional medicine. These are words that we don't always hear when we go to the doctor. How are you different? Well, we're using the science of metabolic and nutritional medicine. And by doing that, we're now able to prevent, uh, stop, uh, and in some cases even reverse rather serious diseases, diseases that can be life-altering or life-threatening. And in addition, we can combat the common effects of aging, increase longevity, and like you said, you know, our goal is to really help our patients become functionally younger. So that's our main approach. You know, if I'm not wrong, I think one of the biggest obstacles to living a very strong and active life is still heart disease. I mean, we saw examples of actor Alan Thicke. I mean, he had no warning at all. He, he died from a heart attack playing hockey with his son. At, he was just 69 years old. And, and the news kind of shocks us And because we've, we've come to think of heart disease as something, well, we can take a pill and, and, and get along with it. Well, what is the deal with that? Yes, that was very sad that Alan Thicke died in December, and he was only 69. Uh, and, and then just uh, f- uh, shortly after that, Carrie Fisher also died in December of a heart attack. And she was only 60 years old. And, and didn't you know, George, so that, George Michael, too, right? Well, yeah, they're still not sure, I guess, on the cause of death. Initially, they said heart-related issues, but, yeah, and yeah, yeah, younger still. So, that, yeah, this is very shocking. But But as you may know, uh, cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of premature death for both men and women uh, in the United States. Um, Alan Thicke and Carrie Fisher are, are prime examples of this. And, and isn't what that generally, you know, you go to the doctor, he goes, well, your cholesterol's too high, take these pills, take these statins, and, and don't bother me anymore. Well, no, that's true. That's true. Uh, I, the problem is that, that we all know that high cholesterol can be a risk factor for heart disease, but there's other risk factors. Uh, such as family history, smoking, high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, and now they're even finding prediabetes can be a risk factor for heart disease, physical inactivity, and poor diet. So, so one needs to really look kind of beyond just the cholesterol. That's just a risk factor. That's not the only risk factor. So we really need to be comprehensive uh, in our look at what are all the risk factors that we may have. And it also sounds like you're saying that we also have a personal responsibility to keep an eye on our own health. You know, we mentioned, of course, that you're a practicing physician. You also have a postdoctoral Master of Science degree in Metabolic and Nutritional Medicine, a graduate certificate in Metabolic Endocrinology, another in Brain Fitness and Memory Management. This is a, an unusual resume that we're starting to see more of these days. You're a certified personal trainer, too. So so tell us why you feel so passionate about all these different areas, about metabolic and nutritional medicine, and really its benefit for all of us. Well, to me, Bill, there's nothing, nothing at all that's more important than to live a long life, but in a body that's full of health. But unfortunately, in many respects, our healthcare system is failing to help make that happen. And in despite uh, all the advertised, quote-unquote, miracles of modern medicine, we see those we're still a nation of overweight, cancer-prone, and chronically ill people, sadly. And, uh, and in fact, did you know that prescription drugs taken as directed are now the leading cause of accidental death? So, so when I looked at all that, I thought, you know, we need a bold new approach in healthcare in America. People are supposed to look good, feel good, and function correctly for a lifetime, in my opinion. But sadly, most Americans don't. We've gotten so used to seeing unhealthy people, we think it's normal. But, but, we, but it's not. We really need to understand that the normal state of human beings is not being sick, not taking all these medications, and not having to visit the doctor's office on such a frequent basis. The normal human condition is to be lean and fit and energetic and active. And that doesn't necessarily come in a pill, so a lot of the responsibility is on us to stay strong so when these things pop up, we have a better chance of getting through them. No, that's true. Now, here, bottom line, if here's the best-kept secret in medicine. I'll reveal it right now. The best-kept secret in medicine is this, Bill. Given the right condition, the body can heal itself. The good news is that good health is a choice. With rare exceptions, our DNA or our genetics are not our destiny. Fortunately, we are in the driver's seat when it comes to living long and living in a vigorous, a vigorous life. So, so the choice is ours. We can choose good health or we can choose, you know, bad health. So 
but, but, but the power is within our own hands. A great and life-changing message from Dr. Daniel Thomas. Learn more about his practice, what makes his work so different, and how to set up an in-person consultation at his Mount Dora office at healthyandstrong.com. Coming up, she was disabled in a wheelchair for 20 years, but then got up and began to reclaim her life. Her story next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Center for Health and Well-Being now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. If you don't practice visualization, you should give it a try. Visualization is imagining in great detail the feeling of successfully completing a task. It's a shortcut to success because the brain is incapable of telling the difference between real success and vividly imagined success. It's a technique that's now employed by nearly every world-class athlete. Visualization convinces us that not only are we capable of performing in the imagined way, We've actually performed in that way many times and have learned from the experience. One area in which visualization is never applied is positive aging, and that's a shame because it's one of the most powerful and important tools for reprogramming your belief system. Visualize yourself growing stronger, not weaker as you age. Visualize yourself becoming more active, more social, more flexible, more resilient. If your mind believes it, so will your body. Visualize yourself saying yes to opportunity, taking calculated risk, making new friends, finding new love. Visualization is a proven shortcut to the life that you want. Hi, Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. There's one thing about life that we can all agree is going to happen, and that's the unexpected. You never know what life is going to throw at you. And for the last 25 years, our next guest has been disabled with multiple sclerosis, which, as you know, is an autoimmune disease that affects the brain and the spinal cord. And in her battle against it, she has spent 20 years in a wheelchair. And then five years ago, she tried something. She started working out in a gym. And, Mark, she would go up to six days a week. Yeah, and get this. Now she competes in the Senior Olympics. She's been named one of Blue Cross's 20 most inspirational people. She's even been featured in a television commercial. Let's find out more as we welcome the inspirational Eleanor Pendergraft. Hey, Eleanor, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, man, we're, we're fabulous. We love your story. So tell us a little bit about it. After 20 years in a wheelchair, what motivated you in your 70s, of all things, to get up and get into the gym? Well, I saw my neurologist, and he said that I was getting worse. The muscles behind my knees were drawing up. I couldn't straighten my legs. Couldn't drive a car without hand controls because I couldn't lift my feet to use the pedals. And he gave me no hope of ever being any better. And my family and friends know that I'm a very stubborn person, and you don't tell me I can't do something. So I went to the gym, and uh, I could barely creep in that day. I had a brace on one foot to keep it from dragging, went in on the walker, and joined that day, and just gradually increased my exercise levels. Uh, And I went from the walker to 
uh, two canes and then one cane. And uh, one day I watched people running on the track, and I thought, oh, I'd love to be able to do that. And when there weren't too many people in the gym, I picked up my cane one day and started running. Hmm. And I've been running ever since. You know, Eleanor, it's such an incredible story and an amazing story. And when you, you, you tell it, it almost sounds so easy. You know, you think everybody's going to go to the gym and get out of the wheelchair and run. You must have gone through a lot of pain, a lot of ups and downs, and a lot of wondering if it was doing any good at all. I certainly did, and I had some setbacks. I tend to overdo a lot of times, and I had some injuries and had to back off. And two years ago, um, I, I had double knee replacement. And I thought, well, this may end my days of running. But less than a year later, I was back in the Senior Olympics, went to the Nationals in Cleveland, Ohio, and came back with some some ribbons for placement. And I'm hoping to go this summer to Minnesota to the Nationals once again. But the best part of all this is the people that I meet the inspirational people that I've met there and the friends that I've made from across the country. And each time I go back, we renew our friendships, and I hear from them from time to time. And people that do these things are very unassuming. Uh, One of the ones that you've interviewed before, uh, Jean DiPrano, is always the first in her field. She set all kinds of new records, but... Every time I run across the finish line, she's there with a hug and a thumbs up. You know, we love to to talk to Masters athletes in general, Eleanor, because uh, you're exactly right. They're great people, and they've all had to overcome something. And, uh, and folks, we we are talking to Eleanor Pendergraft, who has MS, multiple sclerosis, uh, spent 20 years in a wheelchair, and when her doctor told her that is how she would live the rest of her life, she got up, she went to the gym, uh, she started working out, she started running, and the next thing you knew, she was competing in the Senior Olympics. How has all of this activity affected your MS? Is it in remission? Are relapses less common and less severe than they used to be? Uh, uh, I do have some, some small relapses when I, when I overdo sometimes. Uh, when I came back from my first nationals in Houston, Texas, uh, I had a, a pretty major relapse and had to step back a little bit. Um, and, uh, my doctor had told me when I started improving, well, the first thing he said was, you know, you're going to relapse. And I said, well, maybe I will, but let me enjoy this while I can. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, my whole general health has improved. Uh, I was on a handful of prescription meds for different things, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, blocked carotid arteries. I take none of those medications anymore. My carotids are almost clear now. And uh, the good thing about my health improving is that now I can give back to some of the people that were so good to me through the years. I can help other people. I visit in the nursing homes. I prepare meals for the people in the building where I live. Um, I take people to church and to doctor's appointments. And these were things that I was not able to do all those years. Eleanor, your story, I hope you realize how inspiring you are and how compelling it is. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you say to these other people when you meet them about, about what's possible when you get off the couch and get moving, about not listening to other people setting limits for you and, and about becoming active and a participant in life? If one thing can come out of all this, if I can encourage one person not to give up just because they've turned 50 or 65 or 70, that exciting things can happen in their lives. They might not get out and and run and jump in Senior Olympics, but there are all kinds of agencies and places that are looking for volunteers um, and the friends that they can meet along the way. Uh, My life is the busiest it's ever been and the most fulfilling, and I'm the happiest I've ever been. Folks, are you hearing this? Uh, that is the inspirational Eleanor Pendergraft. Eleanor, thank you so much for your time. And, Bill, this is a woman who's in her 70s now, which can be a challenge for anybody, uh, you know, just given that. But a woman that was in a wheelchair with a debilitating disease for 20 years who is now living the greatest time of her life. And it's hard to believe, too, when you're told by so-called experts that, no, give it up, 
You're done. It's never going to happen. And you still have that backbone to try to get up to be the best you can be. She's just an example of, of the amazing things that can happen when you believe that anything's possible. Coming up, the founder of the 60s supergroup, The Rascals, still making great music and having the time of his life in his 70s. That's next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. One of the greatest voices, greatest songs you'd ever want to hear to help us get going today. Hey, everybody, Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton here on Growing Boulder. And, wow, I love listening to that. In fact, our next guest who sings this song is a member of six or seven. I lose track of how many Hall of Fames this guy is in, but I know he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is the Big Mama. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, which is also a huge honor, and the Grammy Hall of Fame. He is the founder, keyboardist, and vocalist for the 60s supergroup The The Rascals, Rascals. who recorded hits like Groovin', Good Lovin', Ain't Gonna Eat Out My Heart Anymore, Beautiful Morning, and many more. And after 50 years in the business, he is still going strong, making great music. Welcome the king of blue-eyed soul, the legendary Felix Cavalieri. Hey, Felix, how are you? Good morning, everybody. Hey, we're thrilled to have you. Tell us where you are. I understand you're in your car headed somewhere. What's up today? Oh, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, looking at the thermometer going down, down, down. Hey, are are you having as much fun, Felix, as it seems like you are? I mean, you really do sound as good today as you did 50 years ago. Well, you know, of course I am. I mean, I, I can't I, I can't believe I'm still doing what I'm doing, but I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it. The only thing that we don't enjoy is the travel. The travel has become a little harder. Uh, but other than that, you know, there's nothing like it, really nothing like it. Felix, are you still writing? Are you still, you know, does it still come out of you, You the, these incredible chops that, that you have? You know, I, I think that as we get older, there's so many more things to write about. When we're younger, it's all I love you songs. But, but do, you st- do you still sit down and get inspired? Well, you know, that's why I moved here to Nashville. You know, I, I really wanted to continue to keep that uh, so-called channel open for the rest of my life. I, I love to write. You know, to me, it's it's... Probably the healthiest thing you can do is just come up with a new idea once in a while, you know? <laughs> you know, Felix, I remember like it was yesterday, your TV debut, 1965 on Hullabaloo. You performed your debut single, I Ain't Gonna Eat Out My Heart Anymore. Did you have any idea that six decades later you would still be loving what you do and people would still be loving uh, having you do it? I, I mean, we didn't have the slightest clue. <laughs> no. No, I mean, we're just very fortunate, you know, we know it, and I know it, and uh, uh, I don't even know what to say about it, because I have been my wildest dreams. You know, I never dreamt I'd still be uh, doing what I'm doing. And what an incredible story, too. I mean, the Rascals, you guys were the first white group signed by Ahmet Erdogan at Atlantic Records. You were known as the Blue-Eyed Soul Group. And and I also, is this legend or did this really happen? Did Otis Redding stick his head in the studio once to, to, to just make sure that you guys were, in fact, white? <laughs> well, I, that's, the, that's a true story. But, you know, basically, uh, you know, the atmosphere at Atlantic Records was like one big, crazy, happy talented family so he was just joking you know he he just stick his head in and you know he had really a great personality he was a great guy and 
he was just you know, teasing us, you know. But it was it was fun, you know. He stuck his head in, in and he said, "My God, they are white." <laughs> <laughs> All right, your follow up to "I Ain't Gonna Eat Out My Heart Anymore" was "Good Lovin'," which was actually a Latin cha-cha song, and you souped it up with a Beatle beat, and it shot to number one. Let's take a quick listen to that. Felix, I, I got to tell you, man, when, when you listen, I'm sure every interview you do, the guys play these songs again. To this day, Felix, these songs leap off the platter into your heart. They're timeless songs. Did, did, how do you write a timeless hit? Well, uh, we didn't write Good Lovin', but, you know, there's, there's really no answer to that. I, I, I just think, I, I don't know, the, uh, the atmosphere in the studio and the atmosphere whenever we worked and I worked now in the, in the, in the, in the current years, it's always been a joyous atmosphere. And when you capture that moment, the joy goes over to the people that hear it. That's, that's what we do at our live shows. We bring joy to the people. We bring memories to the people. And, and I don't know, I've always kind of tried to keep it kind of up and happy. You know, there's enough sadness and, you know, we don't, we don't need to drink over the bar with these songs, you know. Folks, we're speaking with Felix Cavallari, the legendary founder of uh, the 60s super group, uh, The Rascals. Let's talk quickly about a song that you did write, and, and, and one that was not about being happy. It was about getting together. You and Eddie Brigatti composed People Just Gotta Be Free, a song about racial right. unity, a week after the 1968 assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, Jason, can we listen to just a little bit of this, too? All the world Tell us a little bit about this song. You know, did it come from the Kennedy assassination? Yeah, basically, the, you know, I was I was working for his campaign, and I was actually seeing a girl who was at the assassination at the hotel, and it, it just kind of struck me very, very deeply that you know how one person, you know, one bullet could change, you know, the history of the of the world. I mean, certainly the United States. And uh, I just felt compelled to say something, just something, you know, about the ridiculousness of the situation, which unfortunately, as we look at the calendar now, it's still, it's still there, you know. I mean, what are we doing, you know? Uh, it's so easy, it just got to be, just doesn't seem to work out there today, you know? Well, you are still out there doing your thing, and your millions of fans are so grateful for that. Eddie Brigatti obviously began to lose interest, left the group when you were still popular. Pretty much a recluse since then. Any chance that the the original Rascals would get back together, Felix? Well, you know, we did a year uh, last year. Uh, Stephen Van Zandt from Bruce's band put together a wonderful uh, Broadway production and tour, and I don't know. I, I think that pretty much put a cap on it. Now, uh, I think some of the guys want to work and some of the guys don't want to work. So I just decided, well, while you guys are making up your mind, I'm going to go out and do my thing. <laughs> and you know where I want to go now? I want to bring it up to the present day, too, because you, people listening to you, people love you, Felix. I mean, you've got energy. You've got passion. You still have that same drive that you always had. Can you tell us uh, about life now at this stage as compared to life before? And, you know, give us a shot of that, that Felix Cavallari inspiration. Well, you know, uh, most of the people who I know from the old days, you know, and we just lost a great one, Joe Cocker, you know, we all, we all love what we do. I mean, we, we all pretty much can't wait to get up there and sing and play and see those adoring faces and see the people that love us and love our music. If, if you don't, you shouldn't have started in the first place because this is a business that's not exactly sane, you know? So, uh, uh, I just, you know, I've got, I've got great kids. I've got five children. I've got six grandchildren. You know, uh, I, I live in Nashville. Uh, I'm writing all the time. What the heck? I mean, uh, as long as we can keep healthy, I'm going to keep smiling. 
Man, it is so great catching up with Felix Cavallari, folks. If you want to find out more, and he is touring, he is great. Believe me, he sounds as good today as he ever did. Check out FelixCavallariMusic.com. Uh, and, and, Jason, can, can we just say goodbye with a little bit of I've Been Lonely Too Long? And, and, Felix, best of luck to you, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Coming up, he's been called one of the great deaf Americans, and he's on a mission to close caption just about everything. That's next on Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. Our next guest has been a relentless advocate for captioning since becoming deafened as an adult. He's the co-founder of the Association of Late Deafened Adults, and he's the CEO and founder of Caption Access, which is a company that captions just about anything. He's featured in the book, Great Deaf Americans. It's our pleasure to welcome Bill Graham. Hi, Bill. Hi there. How are you doing? We're doing great. First of all, tell us in our audience, if you will, how are you communicating with us? How are you, in a sense, captioning this interview? Well, right now, I am going to an interpreter. It's called Video Relay Service. So I call the interpreter, and she calls you. And I can hear what you're saying. I don't understand what you're saying, but I can hear your voice, which helps me. And she signs. And so between the two of those things, hearing your voice and her signing, we get along. Hey, Bill, tell us a little bit about your own personal story. Mark mentioned in the intro that that, that, did you lose your hearing as an adult or or tell us a little bit about you? Uh, Yes. Uh, When I was in my 20s, I started to lose my hearing. Um, Nothing dramatic. It was just the way most uh, older people lose their hearing. And I was deaf by the time I was 25. <clears throat> and I didn't know any deaf people. And, and I just blocked my way through life for about seven years. And then I came across a, a list of people who had become deaf as adults like me. And I got the list, and I invited 25 people to my house for a party. And uh, we were all writing things down or using a computer to type to see what other people were saying. And uh, we all had a good time, nevertheless. And the organization, the Association of Late Deaf and Adults, grew out of that experience. So that's how I got into uh, this whole bit of captioning, because to have the organization uh, to communicate together, nobody could sign. People were bad at lip reading, and we had to read what other people were saying. So the first thing we did was have a hearing person come in with a typewriter and five carbon copies, and she typed what we were saying, and every 10 minutes uh, she would pass around the carbon so everybody could catch up on what we were saying. Uh, and then uh, I was introduced to the court reporters downtown Chicago. I lived in Chicago. And I went to the courthouse, and the president of the Organization for Court Reporters showed me what a court reporter could do uh, with a laptop and make words come up in real time. 
And wow, that was heaven for a person like me who couldn't sign well or lip read. So that's how I got into the area of captioning. Uh, I did all this as a volunteer. I was in publishing for 36 years, uh, the last 10 years at Microsoft as managing editor of Encarta. But we all got Encarta Encyclopedia. We all got laid off, and then I had to do something else. And I thought I'd grow bolder and start a company, and it's a captioning company. It sort of marries my passion from before with uh, – my new life. <laughs> and listen to Bill Graham, folks. Uh, he's one of the great deaf Americans, tying our subject back to growing bolder. Very gracious and generous of you, Bill. And, you know, we are all blessed by people like you, people that are afflicted by something that can affect us and does affect our loved ones, but people like you who decide to do something about it. And as you've said, you built a business around providing captioning services. How would you say, Bill, we are doing as a society in terms of making content accessible to the hearing impaired? Because captioning TV is one thing when there were only a few channels, but the Internet has countless channels now. I would guess that is countless opportunities for your company, but also countless numbers of frustrations for the hearing impaired. What do you think? It's frustration for the company, too. But uh, things, have gotten, things have gotten better in the United States, for sure. There are laws that regulate captioning. Uh, any company that receives, organization receives funding from the federal government has to make their uh, media and content uh, accessible to deaf and hard of hearing people. But it doesn't always apply, in fact, it rarely applies to the companies that uh, have most of the internet content uh, out there, most, the most important internet content, webinars, webcasts, uh, education and business. Also, corporations have a lot of uh, videos. To uh, They have YouTube channels and many videos that are not accessible. So breaking down those barriers is a little bit more difficult than getting the government to make their content accessible, and uh, it, it is a little bit frustrating to have the Internet so inaccessible to deaf and hard-of-hearing people. It's funny that when the Internet first came along, it sort of put us all on the same playing field because we could go shopping by email. We could do everything a hearing person could do on the Internet, and now things are going backwards that uh, people get ahead by taking webinars that aren't accessible to deaf and hard of hearing people, so they're falling behind a little bit. So, Bill, here in, in our last minute, could you, uh, this is an interesting, Can you, you've done such a great job really reinventing your life and overcoming this obstacle. Can you pass along some words of wisdom about how to do that and, and that anything's possible? Well, anything is possible. Uh, words of wisdom, I would say, don't fool yourself. Like I said, I went stuck and I was bluffing my way around for 10 years. It's extremely stressful. First, you have to come to grips with what happens to you yourself. And from there, you can start to build the confidence that maybe you've lost and achieved the things that you never dreamed you could achieve as a deaf person or whatever your situation is. Well, Bill, that is fabulous. We are such fans of yours. Folks, if you want to learn more about Bill Graham, please check out his business. It's called CaptionAccess.com. Bill, thank you. And if you would, please pass along our thanks as well to the interpreter who is signing for you today because uh, this was a fabulous interview, and we greatly appreciate both your time and hers or or his as well. That's beautiful. Uh, Thank you for thanking the interpreter because the people who make this possible are sometimes overlooked.
And if you haven't already, check out Growing Boulder TV on public television stations around the country. And we invite you to subscribe to our one-of-a-kind Growing Boulder magazine, packed with inspiring stories, tips, tools, everything you need to help make the rest of your life the best of your life. Yeah, you know what? It's also the perfect gift for anyone you know who needs a little inspiration to get off the couch and get into life. Just go to growingbolder.com slash subscribe, where you can also sign up for our free newsletter. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook as well. Folks, we will see you next time right here. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears. This fire and flaming road Using ideas as my map We'll meet on edges soon Said I Proud me heated brow Ah, but I was so much older then I'm younger than that now Half-right prejudice leap for Ripped Something to protect